because it's really hard to pray for someone you hate. And, and so in praying, it spurs me to compassion. Um, and then as my kids get older, I will share with them those stories of men and women who have worked in the abortion industry. Because when you hear that too, you think, oh, what a living hell that actually is for them every single day to be steeped in this culture of death and feel like you have no way out. Hello and welcome to the Union Podcast. My name is Brian Pugh and this is my wife, Bonnie. Hello, I am here. We're so glad that you joined us here today on today's episode. This is number 73. If you are new to the Union Podcast, we want to welcome you here. And uh, we hope and pray that today's conversation is life-giving and encouraging uh, for you. Our real focus here at the Union is to help people find wholeness in sexuality, identity, and relationships with a gospel-centered and holistic approach. And if you are a return listener, thank you so much for coming back. We value you and appreciate you. And uh, we would love it if you would comment, share this podcast, and subscribe. Uh, and just get this out in front of as many people as possible. We, um, we have a huge heart for... Um, really just helping people experience the beauty of God's design for all these areas. Um, and uh, there's no time like the present to get this out in front of, uh, in front of more and more people and they can experience the, the freedom that comes with that. We have not recorded a podcast in a while. Yeah. And I'm little, feeling it. I feel embarrassed. I'm sorry. A little bit. We just, we've had a pretty full season of life. Um, if you're, again, if you're new to the podcast, Bonnie and I, we have six boys. Yes, we do. So it's a full van. Um, it's a full van load, full swagger wagon, as we That's like right. to say. And uh, so there's been that going on, just family stuff. But then also we've we're thankful. We've had a lot of uh, actually speaking opportunities and ministry opportunities in this last month, which has been been great. But it just means that certain time, a certain amount of time, can't go to the podcast. That's right. But we've missed you, and hopefully you've missed us. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's actually been really cool. We've been seeing that more and more people are finding and subscribing to our podcast and even occasionally now going out in public and people are, are saying, Hey, I, I listened to your podcast and I'm like, Oh, well, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a little, it, it makes you feel like, really? Okay. Hi, my name's Bonnie. And they're like, yeah, I know. I listened to you. And it's just a little bit, you know, yeah, it's, I try to, awesome. I haven't had anybody stop and ask for a picture yet. <laughs> Which maybe I don't know if I need to hang my hat on like that being a level of success. Yes, yeah, but I do think I should maybe get some glossies printed. So yes, yeah, I'm like eight, eight and a half by eleven. Or do you want to do the postcard size? Are we being so ridiculous? <sighs> yeah, this I feels just like I don't even know if this is necessary. I'm like, if there was a blooper, this would be the blooper reel. Yeah. Do we stop now and re-record? I, I don't know. It's too late. <laughs> it's Let's too late now. Anyways, we're glad. We're actually really glad that more people are finding the podcast and that people are finding it encouraging and even just thought provoking. Uh, we want to talk about things that are often avoided, but we want to do it in a gentle, compassionate way. Yeah. Um, we know that Jesus came in the fullness of truth and grace. And so it is our, I mean, it's really our heart and our prayer that we're able to approach some challenging topics um, honestly and directly but with zero judgment and zero like, um, like just not motivating anyone with shame. But we just think we just can't leave these topics alone because it's really mm -hmm. causing a lot of, it's wreaking havoc in yeah. our nation and the nations of the world. And today we're specifically, we're going to be talking about a tough one. Uh, and also our next episode as well. We wanted to give a couple episodes this year to talk about abortion mm -hmm. and 
We know statistically, in Canada at least, one in three women will experience abortion at least one time in their life. And we just, I mean, we're followers of Jesus and we feel like if that, if this topic is impacting that many people's lives, it should be something that we, uh, that we figure out how to talk about. Mm-hmm. And so we're really excited uh, to have our guest on today. Yeah. And I think like we're, we're in a time where the question, like, what is a human? What does it actually mean to be human is, is on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And I don't, I don't think... And I, what I mean by that is like when it comes to gender identity, transgenderism, transhumanism, mm-hmm. even some aspects of what's going on in society, this even comes back to the very core aspect of what was brought in to our nation into several nations within Western culture um, through abortion. It starts to raise these questions of like, what is it? What actually is a human and what does it mean to be human? Um, and so I think these are these are things that are really um, intricately connected to scripture, connected to the gospel. And so we want to look at it through that lens. And so we're so excited to have uh, Joanna Hyatt on the podcast today. Yeah, we came across her. I think it's been, I don't know, it's been a couple years ago now. It's been a while, but I came across her um, content on Right Now Media, which if, you've, if you're part of that, um, it's kind of like a Christian Netflix, I guess. Um is that accurate to say? Kind of. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's like a library of resources. So I found that she had some um, video resources on Right Now Media, and I thought uh, on the topic of sexuality, relationships. And as I looked into who she was, though, I found that she was a strong voice uh, for the unborn and for, I mean, advocating for women to really be empowered in motherhood. Uh, so we reached out and she tur- turns out she lives not too far away. She lives south of the border in Washington. And uh, I would, yeah, I'm just glad, glad to have her in our life now as a, you know, a mutual, mutual voice on these tough topics. So, um, yeah, she, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation talking about uh, how she got started, um, you know, kind of speaking on pro-life topics, how she went undercover as a pregnant as a pregnant woman going into clinics, abortion clinics, and just figuring out the, um, yeah, the ways of Planned Parenthood. And so that was, that's kind of interesting part of the conversation too. Anyways, if you want to find out, get more resources, uh, from Joanna, after you listen to this conversation on her website, joannahyatt.com, um, you'll see there, she has a free ebook, uh, it's called the new, a new position on sex. Clever, dun, t- dun, dun. clever title, Joanna. Love it. Uh, but just wants to kind of just highlight the beauty of God's design for sexuality. And then you can also order, I believe it's on Amazon. She has a book for parents called The Sex Talk, which is great. And you can also follow her podcast called Wild and Beautiful, and where she uh, goes goes for goes after the topics that are normally avoided. So. Yeah. Absolutely. And so uh, today's episode is going to be was such a joy to record with her. And I think the thing that stood out to me the most was just how being pro-life is not just about holding a sign on one day at one location in front of a, an abortion clinic or something like that, mm-hmm. but is choosing to see the value of human life all day, every day and just living in the beauty uh, of God's design for humanity. So uh, without any further ado, here's our conversation with Joanna Hyatt. All right, Joanna, thank you so much for joining us here on the Union Podcast. We're so glad. We did an Instagram live together last year, but I knew that I wanted our larger audience to be able to get a chance to hear your voice. So thank you for joining us. Oh, 
My pleasure. It was so fun to do the live. And then when I saw the invite in my email box, I was very excited. That's awesome. So we, this month we're doing, you know, some focus around areas of abortion and pro-life and just some of the common, uh, wrestling that is happening. You're based in the United States. We're in Canada, but some of the, you know, so the political structures can be different, but the root issues and the stuff that's happening in the hearts of men and women in both of our nations and beyond, um, is similar. And so we're just happy to have you come and join us. I found Joanna when I was on right now media and I saw some of her resources about, uh, healthy sexuality, saw that for parents. And so then I reached out to her. She's based in Spokane, Washington. One of, our, one of our favorite places on earth, by the way. That's right. Just across the border. We there just wave go. to each exactly. other when we, when we drive by. Yeah. That's right. So <laughs> could you maybe share a little bit about um, your family and then also like, how did you get started working, you know, on this topic? Absolutely. Uh, I am a mom. I mean, it's funny how often we associate ourselves by our relationships. So first I'm a wife. We should start there. I am married. Uh, I'm married to a wonderful man. We we're coming up on 12 and a half years. He is a screenwriter director. And so he's very much in the entertainment, you know, cinema, TV, Hollywood uh, world. And, and so in some ways God allows us to have a ministry in that area because we, tell stories that are uh, faith-based and true to the human condition, but we work with people of all backgrounds. We just want you to be the best at what you do. And so we get to travel around and we lug our four children with us and they get to hop all over the globe with us, which is really fun. We currently have four girls. Um, I am expecting our fifth in May and we don't know what we're having. Oh, come on. So chances are good it's a fifth girl based on how we're going uh but maybe maybe it's a boy and we'll all be incredibly shocked and the next time i come on i'll tell you guess what yeah (laughs) we bucked the odds but uh we're prepping for another girl so potentially five girls you can contribute to our wedding fund uh if you feel led by the spirit to do so and so i'm a wife i'm a mom and uh you know i found out pretty quickly that homeschooling is not my spiritual gift. So my kids uh, that are of school age go to a fantastic classical school. And I get to be home uh, with the ones that are not yet there and kind of in the cracks. I talk about the stuff nobody wants to talk about, which I find highly entertaining, which is why we connected well. Uh, Sex, politics, abortion, religion, like all the things that you should not bring to the Thanksgiving table, I'm here for. So (laughs) that's me. Um, And and I I continue to work in the pro-life movement and sort of the, just the, I don't know, I just, pro-life in general is like pro-woman, pro-family, pro-goodness and beauty. That's Mm. what I'm here for. That's so So. good. Tell us a little bit about like how you got into that specifically. I'd love to hear your story, how you ended up right in the pro-life movement and everything. Good thing Brian's here to keep us on track. Um, So I, you know, I was, I'm a pastor's kid. I was raised in a home where we did marches and and we did the pro-life thing, Um, but I didn't. You made that sound common. You made that. I guess you know we not, just do that. Not everybody does did that. It. Like we just knew it was, we were pro life, right? It just kind of was a given. Yeah. Um, but but admittedly, I don't know that I'd be like my passion issue growing up was really sexual integrity. Mm. 
And that's how God got me into uh, fighting abortion. Out of college, I ended up coming on as a director for a national sexual integrity program based out of Los Angeles. And that was the precursor to the right now media things in, in the sense that I really cut my teeth in talking to thousands of teenagers and just having a heart for reaching um, every next generation. I feel like that generation is no longer the next generation. They've moved up a bit. Uh, but, but with the truth of God's design around sex and relationships because it's killing, it's killing people, honestly, um, a, a misguided and misunderstood view around sex. And from there, I met a gal who was working for a national pro-life organization here in the States. And at, when I left, I was pregnant with my first uh, daughter and I got a call and they said, would you be interested in going undercover into the abortion industry? And my mouth said yes. And my stomach said no. Mm -hmm. And so the <laughs> mouth went out. Uh, <laughs> and and so I did that. And that that really, I think for me was a turning point in abortion being going from this issue that I know happens and we're against, uh, you know, as Christians and, and as somebody who grew up in a pro-life home to seeing the reality of what is happening in clinics really across the country. And so I went into, gosh, um, probably 10 or 11, um, abortion facilities uh, across the United States, posing as a woman wanting to get an abortion wow. and sat with most of the late term abortionists in this country. Uh, you know, again, posing as a woman wanting to end the life of my child at 26, 27 weeks, nothing was wrong. Uh, there were no fetal abnormalities, nothing. Everything looks good. I just told them I don't want to have it anymore. And, and to sit in those waiting rooms and see these women who were as far along, if not further than I was, um, you know, who looked like me um, or younger and, and they didn't look like women who were empowered or excited right. or really felt confident. They looked like women who sort of were at the end of their rope and they were just there because they didn't have any other options. And I just remember sitting in one thinking, my child will walk out of here alive. Right. And yet I am the last person to see each of these children alive. Hmm. And it just was so sobering to think this happens all across our country, all across your country. Yeah. Um, and it's happening in our cities. It's happening down the street from our schools. And most of us don't think about it that much. Um, it's just not front of mind because it's not at the front of the headlines, unless it's as some sort of a political debate, mm -hmm. but not really talking about the human yes. and heart toll. Yeah. Just what you said earlier there about how you were recognizing that like a misguided belief or foundations mm -hmm. on sex was killing people. Now we know that abortion is like, is one place where that's killing people. Where, what else are you seeing? Where else are you seeing that? Like that link of sex and or perverted sex and death going together. I'm watching a deadening of who we are as people. Mm -hmm. uh, just, just uh, you know, I, I think a big one that we are seeing more and more talked about is is pornography, right? So, a misguided view of sex when it comes to pornography is that uh, we can compartmentalize sex, and it's just a need that I go and I meet, like eating or drinking, and once I check that box off, I just move on with the rest of my day, and it's fine, and it it doesn't hurt anybody because I'm. I'm just doing it at home. Um, the problem is, of course, I know you guys have covered this a lot. 
pornography is teaching us unrealistic expectations about sex that can get carried into relationships. It's changing our brain chemistry. Uh, it's, it's affecting even down the road when we're in relationships, whether or not we're able to have intimacy. And so I'm watching these people and I really, it's a generation deadened by pornography. It is so easy to access it. Now you don't have to leave your house. You don't even like pick up your phone and, and what it's doing is it's killing us on a soul level. And we're, we're relating with each other, not as individuals made in the image of God covered in his fingerprints. We're relating with one another as objects for our pleasure, consumption, and then disposal. And that's never healthy. Yeah. Which then makes me, I'm like, what you just described is then it's transferring down into the next generation Mm -hmm. where women perhaps have been objectified, consumed, and now there's life within them and it's disposed of. Like it's that same- Abortion is essentially the end of the conveyor belt. I think I think it was actually um, Pope John Paul II who, who pointed that out that said, you know, when you start dismantling what is the good, right, best design of sexuality, abortion, of course, is going to be the end of it. Because if you separate sex from procreation, if now it's just about me and then, oops, I find myself pregnant, well, then I have to have a way to deal with that. And the only way to deal with that, other than accepting this is a natural part of having sex, is abortion. And and what we're then seeing is it's we've got a basically a lot of men and women walking around wounded. And I say men because men are impacted by abortion, uh, maybe not in the same ways as women, but there is a lot of crossover in the trauma uh, and the emotional, physiological, psychological effects to men who are losing their children as well. All right. Well, since we've already just crossed a major line here, you, you brought men into the topic <laughs> I told you, of abortion. I talk about everything yeah. that you're not supposed to talk about. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad you did because I think it brings up a really important part that like, as much as this is a, a woman's issue, obviously, but it's a human issue of what we're talking about as well. And I'd love just to hear your experiences with, with maybe men who have been, I don't know. I'm sure there's countless stories of men who have lost children due to abortion, you know, against their own will, you know, and like, how does this affect men, you know, and, and what are maybe like, how does it affect men in order to lead men to be encouraging abortion? Like what are the, the avenues that kind of play into that, but also what are the dynamics that, that men experience on the other side after, you know, they lose a child against their own will and not being, not feeling like they have even a say in this matter. You know, men who encourage abortion, I think, are twofold. It's it's men who have been um, beat down and convinced that the best way you can support a woman is to stand idly by and do nothing. Right. And just say, whatever you want, I'm here for. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting, like, when you're married and you're parenting kids, one parent doesn't just say, however you would like to parent, that's fine. Like, you do your thing. I'm just going to be here to support your decisions. It's like, no, you you figure this out together of how we're going to raise these children. And yet, you know, the modern feminist movement, and I do want to emphasize modern because there have been movements of feminism that have been helpful Absolutely. and good. The modern feminist movement um, has just beat men over the head repeatedly to say, you have no say in this. This is not happening in your body in that a child is not growing in your body. So you don't get to 
make a decision whether or not this woman keeps the child. Although it's interesting, you know, if she does keep the child immediately, there's a push for, well, you should probably pay child support payments. Um, and so, so it's, it's even disingenuous when we're telling men like, well, your opinion doesn't matter. No, actually it does matter uh, a lot. And so you've got men that have been so beat down that they think the best way to support a woman is to do nothing essentially. Um, or the abortion industry is one of the best uh, partners for abusers. Now, the abortion industry is never going to say that, uh, but but think about it. If you're a man who sexually assaults a, a woman underage, overage, and she gets pregnant and you want to get rid of that problem, you take her to an abortion facility. Very rarely, if ever, uh, are those assaults reported. And so as an abuser, yeah. you're able to continue to abuse. And we have on record, at least here in the States, numerous uh, reports uh, of underage girls who were taken into Planned Parenthoods and their abortion was just kind of brushed aside. They they had it and they went right back to the abuser. And whether it was their stepdad or mom's boyfriend or somebody, it, it didn't stop the abuse. Um, and those men were the ones who came out on top. On the flip side of that, if you're a man who has this inclination to protect your child, which that is a good instinct that you have that you say, you know what, this girl, whether I met her for one night or I met her, you know, we've been dating or whatever, she's pregnant. That's my child. You're right. That is your child. That is 50% your DNA. Okay. And so you have this inclination. I, I want to protect this child. And then you lose that child. Um, you know, I'm not a man, um, but I can think through the psychological impact of that. Like you, you wanted to protect, you tried to protect and you could not protect. And, and in sort of the, your most basic, um, core function of, I am here to care for those around me and I couldn't do it for the most vulnerable. We absolutely see that there are men who then go on to have all kinds of other issues that often stem from that abortion because they wanted, they wanted to step into that role of provider and protector and they were denied that. Um, by a woman who either didn't tell them or told them and just said, I'm still going to do what I want to do and didn't give them the chance to say, I will raise that child. I know that there are men who are raising children on their own. And I commend you because that is not what culture generally thinks of when they think of single parents. And and I admire you for doing that because it's hard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The thing that that boggles my mind, and I, I heard a stat recently, and, and maybe it maybe it depends obviously where you look, but I saw a stat that was showing that the large majority of abortions are actually female. And it's, I find, I find it so ironic that in the names of women's rights, we are aborting children at a high percentage that are female. Like is, is that valid? Like, I guess, I don't know. I just love your perspective on that. It's just something that came to me in the moment, but. Oh yeah. Sex-based uh, selection is, is a thing. I mean, we've definitely seen it in, in other countries, Oh, it's escaping my mind, but I'll get it to you. There's a there's a great book I read, and it's not written by somebody who is pro-life. Um, you know, they they are secular. And yet she unpacks what is what is the crisis that is happening in places like China, where for years they have said, you get one kid. Well, think about it. If you have one kid, you're most likely gonna say, I I want a son who will carry on my name. You know, this is really important. And so if you find out you have a girl you abort the girl until you get to, if you only get one kid. Um, and, and so, and so now all of a sudden you've got 
hundreds of thousands of men and not enough women and and sort of the fallout that that is creating in society economically socially just the the role of men who have nothing to tether them no family no women and so there is absolutely a targeting uh, of girls it's happening in in countries like india and it's happening even here in the states mm-hmm. because again if you can custom design when you have a child and kind of what your child is, then why not? Why not say, well, I'm not, I don't want that kid. I want this kid. I want over here. And, and the travesty is that whether you want to think feminism has won or not, the reality is yes, women are still the ones who suffer the most because there's still this idea of like, oh, we want a boy to carry on our name or men are going to be the ones who, who really, you know, live on the legacy or whoever, you know, whatever it is, we even get it with four girls who are like, Oh, are you trying for a boy? I'm like, no, we're taking whatever God wants to give us. You have five boys and you know, like, well, we I actually have six, so. six boys. <laughs> I even discounted one. I just can't keep that. And so it's, it's this idea that somehow one is better than the other. Um, I think the great travesty is that you have women advocating for abortion. And then if you point out, okay, well, when does that child get the rights? When does that woman that women get the rights. They cannot go so far as to agree. You're right. The woman in the womb, the child, the little girl has rights too. And so it is very selective and disingenuous in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we're seeing an increase of, okay, so there's late term abortion, mm-hmm. but we're even seeing an increased conversation about post-birth abortion, which I'm like, I think legally there's another word for that. Yeah. We call that murder called, even up here in Canada. Infanticide, yeah. even in Canada still. It's still called infanticide. Anyway. So what, what are you seeing there? Like, like that thought of when do rights begin? When, cause I think that's an important question. Yeah. When is a person, a person of their own? What would you say? Well, I would say a person is a person of their own from the moment of creation when they have a distinctly different DNA, um, you know, separate from the mother. You know, every time you have carried a boy, you have not been part male. Uh, Anybody would look at you and say, no, like she's still a woman carrying a son. You know, if you have two boys, if you have twins, you're not two thirds male. Like the, the logic of that doesn't make sense. So clearly these are their own separate beings uh, with a DNA that no one will ever have. And, and I find that stunning, you know, as moms, I think there was research that just came out again recently pointing out that a little bit of that child's DNA is a part of, becomes a part of our own for a long time afterwards. Even if you have an abortion, it's not my DNA just replicating. It is someone else's distinct DNA. And, you know, there's, there's a whole rundown of ways you can say, well, you know, I, I was taught <clears throat> to trot out the toddler and you take this toddler out and you say, okay, well, um, you know, the child in the womb it, it relies too much on the parents, on that mom. So until it can stand, you know, survive on its own, it's not really a human being. Well, you know, we have little kids. They can't survive on their own. My child just came in needing their coat zipped up. Like they will die of exposure outside. <laughs> they can't make a sandwich. And and from the moment they're conceived until a, actually a long time after, they're still quite dependent on us. And so when we start to make the value of a human being um, based on anything other than their innate uniqueness, 
then you start being able to slice off other groups, which absolutely you are seeing, you are seeing, right? Like a, a greater push for euthanasia to say, well, if it's about how useful you are, then the older you get, we don't need you. Um, it's a, if it's about how much you can live without medical intervention, well, the more needs you have outside of the womb, we don't need you. And well, if it's about how comfortable, you know, and it all of a sudden you really are left with a very few amount of people mm-hmm. who don't qualify to be taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for me, and I think also what is logical, what is scientific is that life begins at conception and that is life worth protecting. Absolutely. Um, and, and there's nothing magical about, about the vagina, like this it, it confers rights. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't like confer rights because you were in and now you're out and now suddenly like, Oh, it was a magical vagina that gave you rights to live. That doesn't work. No, absolutely. And I think there's a level of like a, a major fallacy in the think that like, oh, well, it's when it's able to be self-sustaining. And I go like, I think COVID showed us that we all need mm. people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, there's a lot of people who are quote unquote sustaining or viable. like viable or whatever who yep. are just like, you know, a week into quarantine going like, I need people, you know what I, I'm pretty needy. So it's like. It's, it's not like to even just make it about need. Do we, what do we have needs or anything like that is just completely unhuman. Like we're not, we're not made to be isolated people anyways. Like we're made for community. We're made for all these things. So I just think it's a major, major fallacy, but. And medical interventions keep getting pushed. I mean, back and back and back. So now I think the the earliest a child has been born and survived outside of the womb is 20 to 21 weeks. Wow. So if if we can keep pushing that back, what that tells me also is that you you can't say, well, 25 weeks is the point where it's now a human being, but it can survive outside the womb with medical help. And if if your basis is, well, can't have medical intervention, well, then you have to take out everyone who's diabetic and needs insulin, everybody on a pacemaker, everybody who you advocated to get treatment in the hospital for COVID. And suddenly, again you're left with a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we would say, Hey, life begins at conception. Let's figure out how both to protect the child rally around the mom and, and create a community that is family focused. I think we'd get a lot further. Absolutely. A a quick question I have for you. And like, because as I I think about this, there's probably people maybe who would be on the pro abortion side who'd say, well, it's, It's no different than just a surgery, you know, when I get my gallbladder taken out like that or, and and it's just, you know, it's just the physical, it's just the biological change that goes on. But what are you seeing and what are the the stats showing the effects going beyond just, you know, that of getting your gallbladder taken out, like the other uh, unforeseen side effects of abortion within a woman's body? I mean, first of all, if you leave your gallbladder or your appendix, whatever, left to its own, it it will not help you. Mm-hmm. It will not create something new and unique. Um, whereas left to its own, you know, a pregnancy happening by, I haven't done a whole lot. I've just made sure I haven't been super reckless, but I haven't been instrumental in making sure that my body is doing everything it needs to do to cause this human to grow arms and legs and kidneys and a brain. It's just doing it left on its own. The body will create this unique separate individual who given enough time today looks like a couple of cells in nine months will be a fully formed human being. Mm -hmm. And and that's pretty incredible to me. Um, 
you know, toothache left alone, cancer left. Some people like to equate pregnancy with cancer. Cancer left on its own is going to kill you. Uh, a child left untouched won't won't kill you. And, and we can get into that as one of the reasons people try to justify abortion. But so that to me, I think speaks, first of all, this is different. It's not just a bodily function um, because if you leave it alone, it doesn't grow into a monkey. It grows into a separate human being. Like everybody knows that. Ask my three-year-old, what does mommy have? She has a baby. Nobody's thinking it's a puppy. They want a puppy, but nobody's thinking it's a puppy. Um, but then you're seeing, you know, and and studies are kind of all all across the board. Uh, you're seeing a a physical impact, and you're seeing an emotional, psychological impact. Live action just came out, out and Live Action's a national organization here. I used to work with them um, for a long time, and they just came out with a whole campaign called "Can't Stay Silent," and it's women after women after women sharing their stories of how having an abortion has impacted them, um, how it impacted them physically, how it impacted them emotionally. And, you know, the, the pro-abortion side has the hashtag shout your abortion. They're trying very hard to normalize it. Um, but the reality is, is that most women who've had an abortion experience some level of emotional regret. It can vary, and there's multiple factors uh, that are part of that. Um, but you know, I find it interesting that a lot of people working in pro-life are women who and men who have had a past abortion. Mm. Wow. And so, you know, you ask them their stories whether they were raped and then they had an abortion, or they just got pregnant young, or they weren't. It is their previous pain that is driving them to now try to help men and women not make the same decision they did. And so I think that speaks to the impact of what people would say, oh, it's just, it's just another surgery. Um, but it's not talk to any woman who's ever miscarried. Yes, it's not. Um, you know, I've lost two babies to miscarriage and I can tell you, even when you lose them early on and you see nothing, you instinctively know this is more than just a heavy period. And most women who experience an abortion understand that as well. Um, or, or it would not be such a difficult decision that has such a long-term ramification into their future relationships, lifestyle choices, mental health, things like that. What do you see? How is that like the ripple effect? How is that affecting society? What's happening to mothers? What's happening to women? What's happening to the dis? Like I, I just see, there's like a disconnect between mm -hmm. generations. What do you What do you see? What's interesting here in the states is that we right now have a generation that um, is is increasingly saying they don't want to have children at all. Um, they're not saying we want to have one or two, and if we get pregnant with a fourth, we're done. They don't want to have kids at all. And you know, when you have a culture that for Goodness now, Roe versus Wade was legalized in the States uh, 50 years ago. And that was a Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion through all nine months across the country. And for 50, well, 49, because it got overturned this last year, but for 49 years, you've had this pervasive um, cultural attitude that children are dispensable because children are expensive and children are messy and children are inconvenient. Uh, you know, and, and as a woman, you choose parenting sort of as like your fallback. You couldn't cut it at anything else. So I guess you should raise humans. And, and when that sort of mentality has sort of seeped in everywhere and, you know, you and I are of the generation that like we were born after 
this attitude um, mm-hmm. was pervasive. It's going to take some time to to turn that back. And as a culture, we've taken kids out of what was the center of society. Um, and we were oriented around how do we protect our kids? How do we help them grow up to do better than we have? How do we build and fight for a future that's stronger? You know, all of these things. There's a reason here in the States we call the generation that fought in World War II the greatest generation. And nobody's come close since then. Um, because there was something about being selfless. And now you don't see women being taught to, and men, to give their lives for children, to realize that raising up a family is the most meaningful way you can spend your life. Um, we're sort of taught that kids are like, you can have them or not. Um, but also a huge Instagram following is just as meaningful. And it's leaving women sad and anxious and depressed. And you're seeing that in the research that's coming out um, that increasingly individuals, young women are feeling anxious. They're feeling suicidal. And I think it's because we have um, sort of twisted, ripped inside out and tried to give them a new purpose that's untethered from everything um, that, that ever was. And if a girl wants to have children, she's kind of like, Oh, I should wait though. As though kids, I don't know, you know, having six kids, kids are what make life so fun and you figure out how to do the rest of it around it. And it works. It works. But nobody tells you that. You're I, I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's funny. It's like, you know, between our, between our two families, then there's, I'm doing math here. 11, 11, 11 plus, you know, then (laughs) you have math is hard, math is hard, two children and I've miscarried one, you know, and it's like, here we we've like fought for the value of children and it does feel like we're swimming upstream. Like it feels like a constant pressure of like, you're weird, you're crazy. You're, Oh my gosh. Like, and so maybe what, um, what do we do? Like for people who have one kid, people who have two kids, people who have 12 kids, any of it, but like, how do we resist that, that culture that really has disregarded children? And one, have all the kids, first of all, <laughs> keep having kids. Um, and, and know that just by walking out your front door with your one kid, with your five kids, you are making a pro-life statement because it was striking to me during COVID how few children you saw out in public. And um, when I would take my kids out, it was interesting to see the just the reactions of people suddenly going, oh my goodness, there's a there's a child. I felt like we were in some post-apocalyptic movie, uh, you know, like Children of Men, where there are no children. And suddenly there's one and the world freaks out. And you realize that there is something um, just disarming in a great way about just having your kids in public, about having taking joy in your children. I know that kids are really loud and messy and a little bit unruly. And sometimes they run into someone with the cart and you just have to apologize. But the more that we can just show delight in our kids, our own kids, it's not radical, right? You're not, you're not standing on a street corner. You're not posting anything. You're just showing the world that I enjoy being a mom or a dad. That in itself is such a statement to those who are watching. My girls and I went into Costco the other day and we had a little game we played. I said, okay, Let's place bets on how many people we think are going to comment. You do the same thing. thing. It helps keep them focused. (laughs) And it was hilarious because, okay, you know, especially when you have multiple kids of one gender, 
everybody looks. And, and I thought, you know, I, I lost by a landslide. I was like, ah, three to four. It came in at 14, um, where my kids were like, mom, that person, I said, looking at us doesn't count because we might just, no, they looked at us and then they smiled and then they whispered and then they looked back and I was like, that counts. Right. (laughs) And, and so of course my kids have noticed like, why are those people looking at us? And it, it invites conversation too, uh, with your own kids of, Hey, because they're not used to seeing the joy that comes. But imagine maybe somebody is walking in the store with you debating whether or not to keep their child Mm. um, or debating whether or not to start a family. And they see you doing it and think, well, you know, yeah, they look a little tired, Um, but, but they also look like maybe they're having fun and they've managed to somehow fit three things of groceries in with their 17 children in that cart. Impressive. So just living your life and living it well and and taking delight in the season that God has put you in today in itself pushes back against the narrative uh, that that children are a burden. It pushes back against the narrative that family is the worst way that you can spend your money. Um, it pushes back against the narrative that that only a career is fulfilling. That's not true. Yeah, it's not true. And and someone's always watching us. I think that's what I'm reminded of when I go out with my kids. Someone's always watching us, and it's an opportunity to bring light into dark places without us even knowing it. Mm-hmm. Now, you you mentioned your kids, and so I love to hear number one, like maybe how you are having this conversation with your kids, because I I don't know the ages of your your girls, but like as they get older, they start to ask more questions. Maybe they pick up on some of the social cues, like how come, why do we get the weird looks and why is it not always that, you know, people are kind of smiling and then whispering or like the the older couple who's like, oh, look at them, you know, like because we get that too. But we also kind of get like the, oh my gosh, like you're ruining the earth, (laughs) you know, look from as, as our good friend Jim Anderson would call it the environmental stare, you know, from, uh, from people. But like, how do you have that conversation with your, with your kids and, and explaining why, why some people don't see the value in kids, but then also how do you talk to them about abortion and and navigate those topics? Well, as y'all have probably figured out by now, I am not shy about tackling tough things um, and words are not something I lack. And so we have these conversations a lot in our house, (laughs) you know, in part when I worked for a pro-life organization, I was traveling. It was a natural way to have a conversation. Where are you going? Why are you gone again? And, and to help my kids understand this is how mommy is being obedient to God right now. We're fighting for babies. This is what's happening. And when they were young, I kept it basic, just... Hey, guess what? You know, my kids are nine, seven, four, and three. And so when my older ones were young, just, yeah, there are people in the world that think um, mommies should be able to kill their babies because they think that babies are too hard or whatever it might be. We're in a unique position in that uh, four days a week as we drive by to drop my kids off to school, we drive right by a Planned Parenthood. And so I have been very clear. I've taken my kids there before to participate with 40 Days for Life. Um, But also I've just been very clear of what's happening in there. I don't get graphic. I don't explain the abortion procedure. The only one they know about right now is the abortion pill. I don't unpack how children are dismembered or, um, you know, how in later term abortions, it's a shot to the head to induce a heart attack. They just know babies die. Babies die uh, because the mommies don't feel supported or the mommies feel overwhelmed or whatever it is. And so four days a week now, my kids, I say, who's going to pray? And even my three-year-old will pipe up. I'll pray. And just, I pray no more babies die. And 
And she, I know, doesn't fully grasp what she's saying. But as parents, you know, we're constantly laying and layers of a conversation. Mm. And I don't know when things are going to click, but I know at some point they will. It's the same reason we pull out the Bible daily, because at some point it's going to start connecting um, first in their head and then in their heart, or maybe flip because children are so wonderfully innocent. But I, I don't shy away from telling. So when my kids ask, what is that? What's happening? Um, I try to give the most basic version that I can. And then I'll always, especially my older ones, I say, listen, if you have more questions, I would love to talk about it. Let's have that conversation at home. Let's have it when your younger siblings are not here. Um, and that runs the gamut. That runs the gamut on rainbow flags and... Um, we were out to eat the other night and somebody was in drag. And, and so just, yeah, good. That, things happen, yeah. right? You, you cannot shelter your kids, but I, man, I, I want to have those conversations with them because I want them as you do too, to come to us and have those conversations where they can wrestle with it honestly. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier when you have consistently been laying down the truth. Right. So, so if you've been talking about what is God's design for marriage, how does God view children? Um, you know, what is your purpose here? And, and that God made you uniquely. Then when you start bringing in how the world has distorted it, they have something to hold it up against. And they start to, it, I mean, the coolest, as you know, is when they start to connect the dots um, uh, of, wait a minute, like God says this, the world says this, but those people don't look very happy or they don't look real joyful. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and I try to regularly affirm to my kids too, you know, the best job I have is being a mom, even on the days I don't feel it between us, because I know long-term it really is. And I think my greatest joy is when you ask my kids, what do they want to be when they grow up? And they say, we want to be moms, which means they're getting it. They're getting that having kids is a meaningful way to spend your life. Mm -hmm. So good. How, like, I don't know again what your girls are like, but how do you explain explain this without triggering a almost like a hatred for the doctors mm-hmm. that are doing this? Because um, as having young men who have a God given heart of protection, um, that's come up in conversation. We've talked about it. Well, why don't we just shoot the abortion doctors or you know something like that? I'm like, well. Cause they're made in the image of God too. You know what I mean? Yep. And they, they yep. have inherent worth and value too. They're just not, they're just not doing what, what God would want them. But how do like, how do you navigate that, that conversation? Well, you know, it, my kids have instinctively prayed and Jesus, we pray for it. And you're like, Oh, no, 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 hold on, <laughs> hold on. We're not praying judgment. Um, so I have led with showing how we pray for those working in the abortion industry that we, and, and, you know, unpacking for my kids, you know, we are to have compassion for them because they don't know the truth right now. They think they're helping women. They think that what they're doing, um, is good. And let's pray that God opens their eyes and calls them from darkness into light and sets them free because that's not the purpose for which they were made. And, you know, and trying to unpack a little too, a lot of times people work there because they can't find another job. You know, there, there's a ministry here um, in the States called, and then there were none. And it's story after story after story of former abortion workers. Mm. And when you hear those stories, you realize, Oh, just as much as the women sitting in the waiting room are not empowered, so often the people working behind the desk are not empowered. They usually had at least one or more abortions in their past, and they're trapped in a, a jobless situation. They say, this is the place that can pay. I'll take it. There's health care. I've got three kids to feed already. I'm a single mom. And so trying to help my kids understand 
the perspective of those people there without ever discounting, like, or not discounting without ever diminishing what is happening. And, and I do that by just saying, let's pray for them. Let's pray because it's really hard to pray for someone you hate. And, and so in praying, it spurs me to compassion. Um, and then as my kids get older, I will share with them those stories of men and women who have worked in the abortion industry, because when you hear that too, you think, Oh, what a living hell that actually is for them every single day to be steeped in this culture of death and feel like you have no way out. Wow. Wow. That's real. We're real fun at home. We are. I promise. It's not always. <laughs> no, we get it. Cause like when we get talking to you, it's just like, sometimes when we go out for like dinner parties and stuff like that with people, it's just, and they say, what do you do? And then we're like, like okay. Oh, well, are you sure you want to ask that question? We are amazing. We're tons of fun, honestly, <laughs> but we venture into some really interesting conversations. So it's just, yeah, no, I hear you. It's it's tough Cause my husband works in, more the secular side of Hollywood. And so he's always, it's like, we go to go out and it's like, what are you going to tell people you do? And I have to get very creative mm-hmm. so that I don't totally just suck um, the air out of the room. Yeah. Before you've gotten a chance to connect with people. And then once you build a relationship and they realize, wow, you're not what I envisioned. Right. Yes. And then you can start to draw out. Um, and, and I think a lot of times, even people, not everybody, but I think a, a majority of people who say they are for abortion really would say they're pro choice. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to figure out how do I help women? And nobody's really sat them down to say, well, here's how you actually help women. Mm -hmm. Here's how you come alongside and empower a woman and give her choice. Um, You you know, you, we were talking before this, um, we hit record that actually a a majority of women who have an abortion do so because they feel like they have no other option, Mm -hmm. not because they weighed all their choices, looked at the resources available and said, I still think this is my best route. They said, I have no route. This is it. And, and everything around them is telling it. It's too hard for you. You can't do this, which I find incredibly demeaning as a woman and a mother of four girls. Uh, We never tell that to men. We don't ever tell men It's too hard for you to try to figure out how to parent and also work and go to school. Um, You can't cut it. No, we only tell that to women as though we're not capable of figuring out how to piece this together, maybe a little differently than we planned. And so most people who say I'm pro-choice are really just trying to figure out how to be supportive of women. And when you come along and explain what actually is an abortion, what does abortion do to women and how is there actually help and resources for a woman who wants to parent or create an adoption plan? It changes their mind. And that's, that's why I try to err on the side of you're always going to have the extremists on either end, but there's a lot of people that can be moved when they encounter the truth. I love that. What do you, you know, for maybe someone who's listening, who has experienced an abortion, a woman's listening what would be a message you would want to share with them? You know, we've talked about, you know, the different reasons people might have abortion, um, just like the pressure that's on women, but what if they already have chosen it? Then what would, what would you say? First, I would say, I am so sorry that you found yourself in a place where you felt like this was your only option because you didn't have somebody standing beside you um, because no one loved you enough to fight for you and for that child. Um, I'm sorry you had to go through that uh, because it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Whether you took the pills and you um, completed the abortion at home or it was a later term abortion, I'm so sorry that that is part of your story. And nobody 
Nobody who does this work on a full-time basis or who is passionate about it um, and doesn't get paid to do it, nobody condemns you. I can I can say that. The people I know, now they're crazies. I can't speak for them. But no, we don't condemn you because we know that while a, the issue of abortion is simple, the reasons you might have chosen that abortion are complex. And, and so this conversation is not about a judgment of you um, and, and, and to know that all of us have things that we have done and we look at that and we can either be forever held captive by our past mistakes or we can choose to walk in freedom. But I will say the only place you're going to find freedom is ultimately in Jesus Christ because you have to be forgiven and you have to forgive yourself. And that's, that's going to take a lot. And it, comes not in just waking up with good mantras, but it comes through walking a road of healing. And there's some great ministries. There's some great organizations. Support After Abortion will connect you to local post-abortive recovery groups. Um, that's one. And Surrendering the Secret is another one. Rachel's Vineyard does some great work there. And just know that one, you are definitely not alone. The statistics are unfortunately stunning uh, in the number of women who are living life after an abortion and men, um, but also you don't have to stay there and you don't have to stay a statistic. You can take this thing that happened in your past and and turn it into something that can actually um, be a, a point of healing and not, not a point of pain. I love that. So beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I love like one of the scriptures out of Isaiah is that, you know, he he gives us beauty for ashes, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. an oil of joy for mourning, you know, like mm-hmm. that some of the darkest seasons of our life, the most shame filled, guilty decisions, guilt ridden decisions that we've made in our life are nothing for the beauty that, um, yes. that God can bring to those areas when we just let his hands touch them. Um, Joanna, thank you so much for, for being on this podcast. We so appreciate the work you're doing and just how freely you're just sharing your wisdom and perspective and hope. And, uh, and we just pray that this, this is what is, uh, captured out of this conversation is that there's a lot of hope, uh, for women, there's hope for men and there's hope for the, the coming generation. So Joanna, thanks again for doing this. It means so much to us. Yeah. Oh my goodness. My pleasure. And in cl- Anytime. In, thank you. In closing, could you just share a little bit where people could find you if they want to hear yes. more, find more of your resources, hear your voice more? I'm not tough to find. Just type in my name, Joanna Hyatt. You'll find me on Instagram. You'll find my website. Uh, I have a podcast. It's not Joanna Hyatt. That one is wild and beautiful, but you'll find it through my um, website as well. And I just keep tackling all the, all the stuff and um, hoping that together we encourage one another to keep speaking truth in a way that is uh, winsome and inviting. Mm-hmm. We'll make sure that's all in the show notes for everybody to track along with. Uh, this has been a joy. Thanks again. Thank you both. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the union podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at the union For more information, please visit our website, theunionmovement.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Union Movement.